When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Glover's Talk, Somerset Live's new Yeovil podcast. Uh, we're on the third episode this week, a slightly later date of Tuesday, uh, thanks to it being Stephen's birthday yesterday. So, happy birthday Stephen, he wasn't in the office yesterday, so it means we've had to push it back to Tuesday. Slacking. Uh, yeah, did you have a good birthday anyway? I did, very relaxed, very chilled out day, Just, what more could you want? Good, glad to hear it. Um, joining myself, uh, Josh Fordham, and Stephen is Yeovil reporter Liam Trim. Hello, Josh. I, I, I bet Stephen wishes uh, Yeovil got three points for his birthday. That's probably the main thing. You can't have it all, can you? Hey, one, <laughs> you always take one. Definitely. And thanks for everyone who's uh, listened to the two podcasts so far. And don't forget to subscribe on Audioboom and iTunes and also give us a good rating. That all helps um, more people seeing it as possible. Since we've last been on there, the Glovers have played twice away from home and I've only picked up one point in the process. That was a 2-1 defeat at Cambridge and that was followed up by a one-all draw with Barnet on Saturday. The games are coming thick and fast for Yeovil with another two games to play this week. Um, but let's turn our attention first to the draw with Barnet on Saturday. Stephen, what were your thoughts on the game? Well, I hate to trot out a title cliche. I do apologise um, in advance for anyone who, who really doesn't like the use of such words, but it really was a game of two halves. And the win really caused havoc throughout the game. Um, we were talking about 41-hour wins blowing sideways across, across the pitch. Mm. So it meant that Barnet dominated the first half and Yeovil dominated the second, really. And... I think that was to be expected. There was a couple of bits that were really disappointing in the first half from the Yeovil point of view. The first one is the manner of the goal that they conceded. It was a good goal by um, Simeon Akinola, and you don't want to take anything away from how well he hit the ball, but two minutes before that, he'd had a shot from an identical mm. position. And um, so really, you're thinking, you know, Yeovil probably should have known that he was capable of doing that. And it's always disappointing when you see somebody then have a shot from the same position straight afterwards and then mm. conceding. And then the other one was that in the first half, everybody knew the wind was really against them and Yeovil were persisting for a large part of that half in lumping the ball forward and playing long balls, which, given the wind, it was never going to work because it was just getting caught in the wind and coming back. And it, mm. I think they did make it more difficult than they, um, than they needed to. Having said that, they, they kept the chances that Barnett created in that first half to a minimum after the goal. They created a couple of good ones of uh, their own and then in the second half, they were really the, the one team who looked like they were going to score. And when Otis Khan did um, put the ball in the net, it was fully deserved. And arguably, you could say that, that they deserved to win the game, which um, which I think when you consider how the um, when you consider the Cambridge result a few days previously and how they started the game, I think it was, um, it's a good um, a good point. Yeah, absolutely. And um, like you said, yeah, it was a deserved point. And they could have had a couple in, in the first half as well that were good chances that were squandered but let's go back to the, the, the Barnet goal at first Liam what did you make of that do you think Yeovil um, could have done anything more to, to prevent that goal yeah I mean just what I think Stephen kind of summed up pretty well there was a chance shortly beforehand where it looked like Yeovil should have um, closed him down a lot more quickly and then like you say just a few minutes later he's, he's obviously like like you say lovely finish maybe you're like the wind 
is affecting how that's curled into mm. into the corner uh, beautifully. But yeah, he just he shouldn't have had that amount of time to shoot. And I, sadly, it just seems to be the same sort of story every week when we're looking back on these Yeovil matches and there's some promising signs going forward for, for Darren's team. But just some basic things at the back where you know they're, either they're not dealing with crosses or they're they're not charging down shots quickly enough. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is a recurring theme every, every week and it's something that um, you'd hope that Darren will be addressing on, on the training pitch because it is something, I think, that can that can be addressed in, in, mm. in that way that a bit more um, experience is perhaps needed in there and you don't know if Darren will be able to bring anyone in that does have that experience in, in January, but it is what, what they need. And I think Just, you pointed out pretty well when Yeovil broke to get the equaliser, there was some really good pressing further up the pitch for that. And it was almost like, well, why aren't you doing that on the edge of your own box? It, it, exactly. Yeah. It needs to be, there, there was, he had far too much space to be able to turn and then get the shot away, which yeah, like you said, with, with the goal, that was fantastic um, play in, in their own half. They were chasing down the ball um, and were able to, to, to counter attack. It was superb the way that that guy actually panned out because before the game when we were speaking to Darren, he you know the wind was already picking up at that point and he he said something along the lines of he's waiting until Otis gets down that that side of the pitch for the wind behind him, no one will catch him and it was almost like the goal when it was almost exactly like he'd uh, described what he hoped would happen before the game and so it was clearly something we were trying to do and working on and it, it paid off for him. Mm, absolutely, um, and also there was one one moment as well that um, some fans might not have seen off the pitch as well when um, uh, a threat uh, was made to one of the oval players. Um, Stephen, do you want to just talk us through what what happened? You were sort of there to, to witness it. Yeah, well, I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time talking about it because there is a, a police sort of investigation still ongoing on that. But basically, when Rhys Brown um, was brought down in the box um, in the closing stages. Um, it was a very legitimate penalty shout. I think footage has since shown that it probably was a penalty and should have been given. Um, but there were Barnet fans in the stand where we were sat. Um, and as Brown ran back down the touchline, um, there was one supporter in particular who um, was giving him really significant levels of abuse. Um, Brown initially laughed it off, but then um, the, the abuse continued. So he just reacted, and I think in the way that many people would, he blew a kiss at the fan in question and, um, and gestured towards him. And then at that point, um, the language escalated and he, he made what would be, in the eyes of the law, deemed as an audible death threat towards him. Now, I'm not saying that the fan would ever have carried that out. I think it's very, very unlikely, obviously, that that would have ever come to anything more. But you're talking about a football match where there are, you know, there were nearly 2,000 people there. There were a lot of people in that stand. And really, it's not acceptable to go to a football match and level that sort of abuse at anybody. I mean, you see it. Um, the great strides have been taken forward with anybody using racist language at grounds. You know, if you use racist language, you're rightly ejected from the ground, arrested and banned. And really, I, I struggle to see how that should be any different when you're making a clear threat towards a player. And it, it's a shame, really. I mean, I, I, hopefully it hasn't detracted from the from the game of the Yeovil fight back because it's a good fight back. But it's really, you know, it's, it is a somewhat of a sour note mm. and it's something that you don't want to ever see or, or hear at a football match. No, absolutely. It has has no place in, in football and like you said the, there has been great strides to um sort of improve the behavior of fans over over the years to to make it um a sort of good-natured environment and where families and and you sort of people can feel safe there and it's yeah it's something that doesn't have a have a place in football and um we'll bring you updates on 
the police investigation and how that goes um, sort of at a later to, at a later date. Um, just going back to to the game, then do you, um, to Liam, do you feel that Yeovil fans can be pleased with how the the game went in the end and the overall performance? I think having fallen behind, you know, like Stevens, it's always better to come away at a point, especially away from home, uh, than, than lose a game that they don't want to get in that cycle of back-to-back defeats again. Um, but, I mean, on Thursday at the press conference before the match, Darren was in a very boisterous, upbeat mood. And uh, I think maybe, as Stephen, you know, Stevens described what has a performance which, again, has some very positive aspects to it. And maybe Darren will be a bit disappointed to to come away from a ground where he's had success in the past without three points because really Yeovil do need a win um, hmm. and, and it's not 100% clear maybe where the next one's coming from. I think Yeovil Town fans, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I seem to think that since Yeovil dropped into League 2, it's every single game, home and away, that they've played against Barnet, there has been a goal in the last 10 minutes that has decided the outcome <laughs> of the game. So it is, a, it is a fixture where late goals do happen. I think that, I think you're right, I think the, the point I think you have to see it as a good result, especially given the away form. Just to get a point would be good, having come back from behind and um, and to get that point. I, I think that it, it's something that gives me something to, to build on and something to take confidence into the game um, at home Stevenage this weekend. And Stevenage, of course, you're coming off the back of what they would see as a disappointing defeat at home to Forest Green on Saturday. So hopefully there's something there that Yeovil can really look at and uh, hope to take advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that Yorktown fans can be encouraged with the way that they scored the goal as well. It was great pressing and um, great teamwork from from everyone, um, sort of in the midfield and, and strikers, to to be able to win that ball inside the, their own half and sort of launch this counter attack. And it was great, a great finish by by Otis Khan. But there still begs the question about the the defensive issues that they have and um, if we sort of steer the conversation now onto the, the, the defeat against Cambridge um, a week ago. Um, where Yeovil were really undone by their own defensive mistakes. I mean, two, um, twi- two, both of the goals. Would you um, sort of argue that they were preventable? I think completely, particularly the first one, because I, it's always difficult when you think a player is offside, but it's it's drummed into you from an early age. You know, anybody in kids' football is told mm. you play to the whistle, and they stopped, they appealed, and they were just completely you know, caught unawares, and um, and they were taken advantage of basically. I mean, Cambridge aren't going to stop playing because the other team have. You know, they've seen Uchi Mikapesu, he's seen the opportunity to score the goal and, of course, he's not going to turn that invitation down. It it, it, is, it was a very similar pattern of play, really, to, to Bayern in many ways because the Oval did allow Cambridge to get two goals ahead. They came back well in the second half. They got the goal back and then, really, you know, as the game went, up, went on, um, Cambridge failed to put the game to bed and then the last 10, 15 minutes... Yeovil were well on top and it looked like if there was going to be a goal they were the only team that was going to get it and Otis Khan did have that shot cleared off the line right at the end that, that would have got a point but I mean it, I think you can take encouragement from it but again like like you say and I think it's a, it's a view echoed by many fans at the moment if you're going to allow teams to get ahead and particularly in the case of Cambridge two goals ahead then it's very difficult to come back from that and that's what they need to work on it's encouraging, I would say, the fact that neither of the goals in the last two games have been from set pieces, which mm. have been a real Achilles heel. But again, you know, just defensively, you can't allow teams to get head starts because that's when you'd be punished. Yeah, absolutely. And especially the first goal as well. They were just carved open, their ball through, simple ball through the middle. And the defenders just stopped assuming that the, the assistant was going to 
flag him offside, and he wasn't, and they they were punished by that. I mean, Liam, what do you do? You think it is easily fixable the the defensive issues, or is it something a bit more deep rooted? I don't know. I mean, we keep saying every week it's something they should be able to work out on the training ground, and. Uh... Clearly, either that it's not being addressed on the training ground, and you would have thought it is. Darren must be highlighting these things to his players, or maybe you're right, it's a more deep-rooted attitude thing. Uh, I mean, when Stephen showed me the footage of that first goal, uh, I mean, it's a pet hate. <laughs> I'm so angry, you know. That all of, The whole line of defenders stop, arm in the air. They're just looking, expecting something nice to happen for yeah. them. No, you play, like Stephen said, you, the earliest things you learn in football as a defender, play to the whistle. One of my earliest memories in football is Man United being defeated by West Ham in the third round of the FA Cup at Old Trafford. Bartes stopped, arm in the air, looking at the linesman. The things just don't, you know. It's, I don't know what the, I think. Ivy, you, you, you're lazy if you're if you're putting your arm up like that and you're not working hard enough to defend your goal. Or the second possible explanation is you feel like you feel entitled, like entitled to a victory. And and the oval players at the moment, when the form they're in, they can't feel entitled. That maybe they're they're feeling a bit, you know, they're just not working hard enough to get the results. So they're not. That's just a lazy attitude for me. They've they've got to keep playing when, when something like that happens. Yeah, I think I think it's lapses in concentration as well. Mm. If they're sort of allowing players to go through like that, they're not tracking the run of the of the the player going through, and that simple ball is sort of catching them out, and they're just stopping there and raising their hands, expecting him to be flagged offside. It is just screams that they are just losing that concentration and not sort of following the game and following the runners um and the same pattern again where i think you know there's there's a clip of i think quite early on you have had a chance Stephen, where there's a double save from the yeah. cambridge keeper so they're playing well again going forward and and both goals again seem perfectly avoidable but it's actually a really frustrating aspect of the game because that, that happened it was in the first minute of the game virtually on kickoff and actually i don't think cambridge had even had a touch of a ball by the time that chance came in and i think it was um it was Brown, then Surridge, and then Olimola. Surridge was straight offside, which is why I wasn't given. But it was a really positive sign of intent mm-hmm. straight from the kickoff to show actually we're coming at you, we're coming to play, we're going to give everything we've got. And you thought from that moment, hang on, you know, Yeovil are ready for this, and they're gonna, they're gonna, you know, really take the fight to them and try and, um, and try and create more chances. And actually, that was probably the only chance they created of any note until they scored on the hour mark. And that, that's disappointing because you clearly you saw from that one passage of play that they were really, you know, up for the fight and then it just seemed to disappear. And it, I think there is a lot to be said about the concentration, I think, when set pieces and crosses coming in mm. and when you're trying to track runners and that sort of thing, it, you have to be alert at all times. And I think that's, it, it is a key thing. It's something that you have to take responsibility for yourself as a player. If you're, you know, you need to make sure you're focused. I mean, you can have all the coaching in the world, but if you're not, taking in what you're being told and you're and you're losing that focus at the key moments then you will be punished I mean, I'm I'm sure that this is being hammered into the players I'm sure you know that they're working at it in fairness to them the set pieces have you know improved defensively over the last few games but it's about being consistent and that's the one thing that Yeovil have failed to, to be this year they haven't strung a good sequence of results together we've seen it in fits and starts mm. We've had some very good wins in isolation, but there's been no sign of them really going on and putting a run together, which is what they need to do. Because if they don't, they will, you know, put a win together every three or four games, but then they won't get themselves any higher up the table than they are now. And it will constantly be, 
this season, instead of looking upwards, they'll be looking over their shoulder and making sure that gap to the bottom two doesn't grow too small. And really, what you want, you want to be seeing the team trying to climb the table, trying to push up and compete to be in that top half. I think it's very... I don't think it's realistic to say that this is a team that will fight for promotion, but certainly to finish in a solid mid-table position and not have to even worry about the bottom two is really the minimum that they should be aiming for. Mm. Uh, absolutely, and it is the defensive mistakes that are undoing at the moment, and they they have been scoring goals, and their finishing hasn't been too much of a problem. I mean, what will cause an issue in January is um, sort of Olomola going back to Southampton. And that that will will cause a cause a huge yeah, issue. Let's hope, let's hope that uh, the guys at Southampton uh, haven't been noticing how well he's been playing. I think for the second half of the year at Hewish Park is just what he needs. <laughs> well, I think, yeah. I, I think the argument with that actually, the valid argument, is that he's done so well at Yeovil because he's been given the game time, he's been given the, the trust and the responsibility mm. to go out there and play his natural game. And really, you know, if Southampton want him to keep on improving, then there's no better place for him to be than Yeovil because you'll get guaranteed football. And he's shown what he's about, and another year at League Two, sorry, not another year, another six months at League Two level, we're doing the world of good. And hopefully, you know, as we are, I'm sure we put to Southampton by, by Darren, by, by um, everyone at Yeovil, and hopefully that's one that they they see the, they see the, that's a valid argument, and they keep him there because what the worst thing for for fellow Alan Waller as a footballer would be is for him to be taken back either left in the reserves or loaned out to a higher team and then not get the game time he's been getting at Yeovil. And I think for the development of a player, he's in a really good place right now and it would be a shame if, if Yeovil were to lose him as much as it would be a shame for him to potentially lose out on the opportunity to gain that experience. Oh, absolutely. And with those two, um, with the, the defeat and the draw, it does mean they are looking over their shoulders a bit now. It's just four points off the, the relegation zone. Um, so if you if you do want to catch up with um, what Stephen wrote about the weekend's uh, two, um, the, the Cambridge game on Saturday and also the um, not for Saturday it was Tuesday wasn't Tuesday, it yeah. getting mixed up there's too many games coming that's that's <laughs> the problem it's, uh, there's loads of games but it's the Barnet game on Saturday and the Cambridge game last Tuesday but one thing I did forget to mention I do I do apologise was the penalty shout um, for the Barnet game yeah. Um, Guys, what were your thoughts? Penalty, Liam, let's go to you first. So this is the one that, that prompted that nasty incident by the time it wasn't it? Yeah, um, I mean, it, it's, there's only one angle of it for the highlights back, and it, it, in real time it does kind of look like a pen, but at the same time my reaction was, oh, he seems to go down a bit easy. But as Stephen has rightly pointed out, there's some very strong photographic evidence afterwards. I think the photo, it's a stonewaller, it is a penalty. I think that Brown did maybe go down a little bit too easily, but the, the point is that you, the contact is there, hmm. and if you make contact in the box, it's a foul. Simple hmm. as that. I, I don't know if he didn't have any favours by the way in which he did go down, but as a referee, you shouldn't be looking at how a player goes down. You've got to be looking at was he clipped, and that picture shows beyond any reasonable doubt that yes, he was clipped. Hmm. Yeah, I think these days, if there is contact in the box, I think players are entitled to go down because how many times do you see when there is contact and they probably could have gone down and it probably is a penalty because it was a foul and players have stayed on their feet. They don't get a penalty, so you have to go down to, to get a penalty. And yeah, looking at it in on, on the replays, it does seem like a penalty and we it could be a completely different sort of mood to the to the podcast today it'll be talking about a, a, a win um going into to the game at, at the weekend but 
um, they still they still got a point, which is a good point away and a good comeback. Um, and yeah, like I said, check out the Somerset Live website for all the the latest news from from those two games and also for the games coming up. I mean, I'm always we... keen to defend refs, so Josh, you know, it's, it happened very fast. <laughs> I, 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 as, you know, obviously, I wanted you to get that penalty, mm. and it does, like you say, in real time, look like it was one. But referees have a hard job, and maybe we should be focusing more, particularly as Yeovil players. You know, you don't want to dwell on that. Dwell on the fact that in the first minute you missed a chance to go ahead, rather than always going behind in mm. games and struggling to to make up the, the gap. Yeah, no, that's 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 a, that's a fair point. The referees do have do have a tough job, particularly lower lower down the the leagues or as the well. They, they must get. <laughs> it, it's a, it's a thankless job. You, if you have a good game, then nobody will, will praise you. Yeah. I mean, a lot of referees say that if um, if they don't see anything about them in in the newspaper articles, then they've done a good job because it, they, they've yeah. done they've done what they're, they're I think, supposed I think to. Two words: video technology. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but how far do you take it? You don't want to lose the people love this debate, right? We fans would miss chatting about these penalties saying, Oh no What do you talk about in the pub? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's you know, you look at cricket and how well it is there, mm. you look at tennis the Hawkeye thing there. I mean, yes, they do create debate, you know, these decisions, but you want to see you want to see the the decisions <coughs> fair and you want to see decisions that are correct most of all. And mm. I think if you if you had video evidence, I think the goal on technology has been a superb addition. I think, you know, anything that helps the referees I'm all for because what you want to see is you want to see games played in as fair and in as good a manner as they possibly can be and referees are only human, they will make mistakes. You know, video with video mm-hmm. technology it's much easier to make sure that the right decision is taken and when that happens you take away the arguments and you take away any feelings of injustice that may be there because most, you know, probably ninety nine percent of the time, if you have a picture or you have a video, you know, it settles the debate. Yeah, and I think I would support it, but like, like you say, I think the the goal line technology is a great example because it's instant, and the referee knows straight away. Where, you know, that's decided. I think any anything that slows the game down too much, I would object to. Mm. Yeah, I think it would have to be like not disruptive to yeah. to the the to the play, and you can't have. Sort of the captain, sort of in the middle of a, of a counter attack, waving at the referee, saying, "I want to challenge exactly, that decision." Yeah. You, you can't. I think if within thirty seconds someone has said in the in the ref's ear, like next time the ball goes down, yeah. I think yeah. that would be possible. But yeah. I think it may take a bit of time. But I think there was the trial of the Federation's Cup, wasn't there? Mm. I mean, if you have somebody watching a screen at all times who can, when he's asked to, immediately get up that clip and mm. just yeah. scroll back and have a look at it, and presumably have one or two angles then. And it shouldn't be too much of a problem. Mm. I don't happen in cricket, you know, it's a, cricket's a good example because they do, you know, they generally, I know cricket's a slower paced game, but generally any decision they look at and the decision's taken probably within, you know, a minute of the mm. absolute most of yeah. the time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm not having a cricket paced football though, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's move we'll on we'll before I rant about that. On that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll move on to uh, some, some very special guests who we've got at Hewish Park tomorrow. I mean, it is the much uh, the loved and revered Checker Trade Trophy returns to, to Hewish Park. I mean, no, don't share my sentiments. Well, I, just, I was just trying to resist doing the jingle. I can't, I can't say Checker Trade without doing the <laughs> jingle. But advertising is, is, a, is a horrible thing, Josh. It, it is, um, but it's the the Czech Trade Trophy does return um, tomorrow, um, and we have Chelsea coming to, to Hewish Park. I mean, Stephen, what are your thoughts on on the game tomorrow? Is there anyone we should be looking out for in the Chelsea squad? 
Well, I think they've got a, they've got a, all of the youngsters in their in their team. Um, they've, they've got a good youth set up. I mean, they've won the FA Youth Cup for uh, how many times in the last few years? Mm. Um, so I'm sure there'll be some exciting youngsters there. What I hope doesn't happen is you find the players who are not getting the game time at, at Chelsea and who haven't had much of a look in getting on the pitch there because I think that's one thing that really does annoy me about this competition that you have so-called under-21 teams and then you have players like Charlie Adam for example turning out for Stoke and you look at him and you go come on mate you know you're not 21 <laughs> you know quite a few players in the first team or don't bother you know, so can you so. remind us of the basics it's, it's meant to be what the majority under-21 players it is but yeah, I, think, I think it's up to five under-21 right. team yeah. isn't it <laughs> this is one of my main arguments against under-21 teams being in this competition because in theory, and I know it won't happen because there are Premier League games on the same weekend as the final, but Chelsea, if they got to the final and they really wanted to, you know, have a laugh, they could call up the likes of Morata and the likes of Azpilicueta and, um, and Courtois and all these players and just put them on the pitch. Well, they don't even need to do that, do they? They've got yeah. such a vast squad. They could I know. just play. You know, I mean, that would be an extreme example. That try you could play. Yeah, there'd be front, nothing stopping yeah. you from, from doing that. And it would really, you know, they can actually... Well, I think the whole point of under 21 teams being in it, it makes a joke of a competition anyway but you know I think it's you it's see what they're trying to do with it I, suppose, but yeah. I, I think that you know there's obvious reasons why fans aren't on board with it I think it's a shame because I think you know normally the opportunity to have a team like Chelsea come down to Hewish Park even if it is an under 21 teams should be a great occasion but really I don't think many people are really that interested because of the way the competition is. And how does way. Darren tend to approach it? Does he rest well, players? Well, Darren, Darren's been Darren's been a great supporter of the competition and he's always, you know, he took it quite seriously last year and they got to the quarterfinals. And I think from a club point of view, you can understand why that approach is taken because it does offer the opportunity for a lot of prize money, which for a team like Yeovil, it doesn't have the biggest of budgets. It is a good opportunity. But I think from a fan's point of view, especially since the under-21 teams were added and it was never that much interest in uh, what was the Johnston Paint Trophy before that but I think fans don't want B teams involved in football at any level it's not something that's traditionally happened in England it's not something that there's a lot of support for in England and it does I think demean the competition in a certain way to have those teams involved now it may be seen as an opportunity for young English players to get um, opportunities in what would be called a competitive environment but the problem is is when you have the League 1 and 2 teams not taking the competition seriously either and playing their own young players then it's really not a lot of point to, to having that Yeah absolutely and I think we, we touched on it a bit last week as well but it's an extra like what, three three games at least that you've got to play um, and then if you get through to the later stage of the competition so you're adding an extra like, what, six or seven games to, to your season in an already Busy, busy schedule of forty-six league games, and then if you have a, a few games in the FA Cup and, and League Cup, you're talking about fifty-plus games a season. And with a squad so thin as Yeovil's, it's mm. it's difficult to to fill those games. The key point to remember last year is that it was in the Chelsea Trade Trophy that Yeovil lost Otis Khan to injury mm. for three months because of injury there. And I'm not going to argue or I'm not going to dispute the you know. Yeovil wanted to take the competition seriously and no doubt if Yeovil did get you know to the final and even potentially win it you know it's a day, there is a day out at Wembley at the end of it and a lot of prize money so you can absolutely understand why they would go for it but it, losing Otis Khan last season was a massive reason why the team fell off the way it did to 
towards the end of the campaign and had that competition not been there because every chance so his car would have been fit for a mm. second half of that season it would have been a, possibly a completely different story and again the first game at Exeter fella Olavola picked up an injury that it only kept him out for a couple of weeks but again you know it, it, you don't need to be losing your players in these kind of games mm. because ultimately yes you know there is a potentially good reward at the end of it but any fan is going to want the league as a priority and then an FA Cup run if they get to the third round. You know, that's the cup competition that fans are going to want to do well in. Checker trade is just something that a lot of people see as a bit of a distraction and don't really take that much of an interest in, to be honest with yeah. you. And you'll see, I'm, I'm, I understand there have been something in the region of around 1,500 tickets, something around that sold for the game um, already. But, you know, Chelsea, you know, and if Chelsea were coming to the FA Cup, the game would be a sellout. There'd be yeah. fans queuing around the stadium to get tickets. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's never going to happen with something like this. Yeah. You do feel, well, I feel kind of cheated a little bit because we, we, our office is opposite Hewish Park and on sort of the board outside. <laughs> they've got uh, sort of where the, ne- the next game is and it says Chelsea. And you forget for that split second, oh, Chelsea, off. <laughs> when was that? Oh, no, it's yeah, the under twenty one. Very big letters, isn't it? <laughs> yes. I mean, for me, just briefly on this, like, you know, you can talk about it for ages, but I think the Czech trade there has to be a better way of of getting young English players uh, competitive game time. I think Stephen summed up the flaws of the Czech trade very well in that it makes the actual teams in it from the lower leagues not take it seriously if they're up against the load of youngsters. But it's very easy for me and for us to say that because I, to tell you what, I couldn't tell you what the solution is to, mm. to give younger players at beer clubs proper game time in, in competitive football. And this is clearly one thing they're trying. I think they should row back on it, but I couldn't tell you what they should do instead. But I think there must be surely a better solution. Yeah, it's, it's, you touch on sort of yeah, a wider debate there of should reserve teams then join the Football League like mm. do they do in like Spain. Either, yeah. No, ab- absolutely. <laughs> but then you look at Spain's sort of setup and sort of the players that they're producing and you can't argue that yeah. it helps having their young players come through their reserve teams in, in the lower leagues of their football playing really yeah. competitive I, football. I think the difference with countries like Spain and Germany that have done that is they've done it for years. It's almost ingrained mm. in their football yeah. culture now. In England, it's never been that way. I think the lower league culture in England is much stronger than it is in other European countries. When you look at the fact that simply there are so many more fans who go to lower league games than they do in Spain and in Italy and places like that. And it would take a massive change in the way that we view football for reserve teams to be accepted as part of the English pyramid. And I don't think it ever will be. And I think there are good reasons why that won't be the case because... I mean, what, what happens when you go and start putting Chelsea and Arsenal and Manchester United B teams into League One and then they start winning League One? What happens then? Because you can't have them get promoted and potentially in yeah. the same league as teams. You know, it's a really difficult one to um, to think. I think the loan system, by and large, if clubs use it in the right way, works well. Mm. And we've seen that with many players. And particularly Yeovil have been a, been a great exponent of that loan market in recent years. The problem is, obviously... Football is a results business. You see it the way that managers are treated these mm. days. They need results and they can't be afford to be taking gambles on young players, mm. knowing that their jobs would be on the line if it doesn't work out. And I think it. I think in terms of the young players getting opportunities, I think it, something needs to change in the whole culture of English football. I think there needs to be a whole, you know, look at it from top to bottom. It's not something that's easily fixable. It's a shame. I think we all want to see young English players get opportunities and and really grow as players, but. I think 
resistance is set against that. It's all about results. It's all about getting um, getting wins and um, and you know if you're at the bottom of the table, staying up. And um, that unfortunately means that managers aren't as likely to take risks on mm. that. Yeah. Just, just quickly, are there any Chelsea players coming that we will recognise? Because surely they will one day be in Crystal Palace's first eleven, for example. <laughs> well, you know, who knows? But, <laughs> but I, but I've seen. I think from the first game, I don't think they were any there. I think it's quite unlikely. So proper youngsters, we've it never be a heard. Proper under yeah. twenty one mm. team. Alright. Yeah. Um just going back to what, what Stephen said, um I think to Darren's credit, he has been a great exponent of using the loan the loan system and giving young players the opportunity to get league football and he's certainly um given quite a few players the the chance and yeah, I think he should take take some, some credit for that and he's he's always willing to give give a young player a go some of that out of necessity I assume <laughs> some of it yeah he's, he's working with a with a small squad um, and yeah, he does have to do it sometimes mm. but he, he does take take the chance and uh, some have, have worked for him um, there is also a game um, a league game at the weekend against Stevenage um, we'll probably know a bit more about team news later on in the week depending on Chelsea um, but Stephen is there any anything we should know ahead of the, the game I think just from from when we are at game, it's a good opportunity for Yeovil to um to kind of build on that point at Barnet and get a get a win. I mean, the home form has been reasonably good. Some of the performances they've been lacking, but they've only lost one game at home. They've got twelve points in seven games, so it's not the home form that's a problem. I think when you look at the games that are coming up in November, I think you've got trips to Carlisle and Wickham, which are going to be tough. Um, you've got Swindon at home, which again, you know, is going to be a difficult game. So I think they really do need to. Re- identify that game is one they have to win because mm. you don't want to be only four points above that bottom two and they start yeah. you know and then have a more difficult run you want to build a bit more breathing yeah. space there and Stephen and John are in the best of form so they lost at home to Forest Green on Saturday so you know there, there is the opportunity there for Yeovil to go and take the game to them and we've seen that when they have done that at home this season they've done well the game against Crew was a good win against Coventry was a superb performance and that's what we need to be looking to try and replicate those performances there and get a good win on the board going into um, going into November because it will be a more difficult month in terms of the opponents they will be facing on paper. Yeah, I, th- I think as well what will be key um, about coming out of the after this weekend's game is making sure we don't pick up any extra injuries. It will have been what, four games in just over a week and a half, which for for a small squad is is vital that they don't pick up any injuries. I mean, Liam, is there a final thought you wanted to give on sort of the two games coming up? Yeah, I'm back in Yeovil to beat Stevenage because I've got fond memories of travelling to Villa Park for a, a nice Yeovil victory in the FA Umbro Trophy final over Stevenage many, many moons ago. So. The man who was moaning about advertising a minute ago throwing the Umbro. <laughs> yeah, throwing the Umbro in. Umbro need all the help they can get these days. So, yeah, Yeovil will beat Stevenage because of that historical pedigree. I've put my neck out there. Uh, uh, you can check out uh, Stephen's updates, live updates from uh, the Chelsea game and also Stevenage game on the Somerset Live website. Uh, if you go on there, there's a Yeovil Town tab. Um, just before we finish, um, I just wanted to talk about Harry Redknapp uh, very briefly. Um, he announced, well, he said in an interview with the BBC that um, he would be interested in taking the Scotland job. I don't know what implications this might have to his sort of. Um, loose advisory role at um, Yeovil. It's a long commute from him up from Paul as is. well in Dorset up to Scotland. And he has been one to not move move house. He d- he likes it where he is in, I uh, in Paul. I guess an international job will give him the time yeah. to you know focus on Scotland for a bit. But 
But what, what are your thoughts, guys? Stephen, first, what do you think, I think he should what, take it? What will it mean for Yeovil? Uh, not a lot, given that he's not been seen at the club since <laughs> yeah. one visit. And I think it's, it's keen to be pointed out. It was always in the formal role. Yeah. I don't think anyone ever expected it to last too long or for it to become anything more formal than that. But it's very much him, you know, coming down to give Darren some advice and then possibly come to a game at a later point, which, you know, I, I think that um, from a certain point of view, I think it's something that he'd be up for and that it would work for him because it's it's effectively a part-time job. He would have to go and you know, scout players at games, but a lot of the Scotland team play in England anyway, so it wouldn't be any different to him mm. just going and travelling to a game on a Saturday. I think that I think it's something that he would want to do. Whether he's the best candidate for that is another matter, and I, I'm not sure whether whether that would happen. I'm not sure how, how would the Scottish football fans feel about an English manager taking control of their national team. I think that that's uh, something as well that they may look at from that point of view. Um, but I'm sure he's not finished with football. He says he is, but you know, he just can't stay away, can he? Well, yeah, famously overlooked for the England job so many times. I mean, he did have a brief spell as manager of Jordan, um, oh, yeah. which, <laughs> which <laughs> the less said about the better. Um, but maybe it's his chance to finally sort of get that that international sort of feather in his cap. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, but I, but I do think it, I think the Scotland job will probably go to David Moyes. I think you know he is, he yeah, is Scottish for a start, yeah. and he's sort of the sort of mediocre manager that would would fit in well. Sorry if you're Scottish and you're listening. I think on Harry and Yeovil, it is just a shame that we've not seen him at a match yet because as Stephen sort of alluded to in previous weeks, I think you'd get a bump in the gate receipts that week a few yeah. more attending just to spot. Red nap hanging about, whether it's in the dugout or in the stands. I don't. I don't. It could happen, but I think it's unlikely. And I think the problem is like the whole the whole thing. The whole thing did take on a bit of a word of its own when it first came out, and it wasn't helped by the by Harry's comments at first when it when it did sort of when he did sort of you know let the cat out of the bag really because he made it sound like he was wanting to come in and work as like a real formal basis, and it then quickly became clear that wasn't the case it was just very much an informal mm, mm. Sort, sort of thing and he did come down and visit training on that one day and he obviously met with players met with Darren and, and did all that and whether it was ever intended more than that you know it's it's questionable I think that you know, he may come to a game you know he does have connections other than with Darren Way um, with Yeovil um, so we could see it, but I think it's probably unlikely in the near future. Yeah, it's being so close for him, it's quite easy for him to, to come down to training, speak to Darren and the players. So it's kind of ease more than anything, uh, I think. But um, well, th- thanks very much, everyone. Um, but before we go, um, I'm keen to make this a, quite a regular feature. Liam is going to read an extract from Harry's autobiography, which sits pride of place on his desk uh, yeah, throughout, throughout yeah. the week. We've got a copy in the office, you know, which we refer to when we need bits of wisdom. Inspiration, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It so this one, oh. I mean, I think we'll delve more into Harry's life in future weeks, maybe. But this one's just from the jacket of the book. And I think it's just, it's just helpful for us all as we go about our daily lives. OK, so football, like life isn't always about winning. The Premiership, the Champions League and the rest of it. For most of us, like life, it's about staying afloat, doing your best with the hand you've got, looking to build something worthwhile, never giving in and trying, amidst all this, not to forget to love every minute of it. Wow, absolutely inspirational words uh, there. And a 
true poet he is. Uh, so thank you very much for that that, that reading, Liam. Um, and thanks everyone who stayed with us this far. Um, those of us, those of you who have made it this far and didn't turn off before uh, before we read out that uh, that, that passage. Um, and don't forget to check out the Somerset Live website for all the latest Yeovil Town news. Uh, and yeah, thanks very much for listening. Ben jij prijsbewust? Nu extra MB's bij de Huawei P Smart. Voor 14,50 per maand, 100 minuten of sms's en 1500 MB internet tijdens de Ben Prijsbewust weken. Kijk op ben.nl. Let op. Geld lenen kost geld.